1: For more information, visit InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. I am in the back of Roberta's in Bushwick at 261 Moore Street, and we are broadcasting live from the studios of Heritage Radio Network. My guest in studio today is Vickery Eckhoff. Vickery is a journalist who has written for most of the major upscale publications and media companies, including the New York Times, the Dow Jones, Forbes, the New Yorker, and uh, Vogue and In Style. She is a regular contributor to Forbes.com. She has an initial series that's been um, ongoing for the last few months or even years called uh, which is an investigation of the horse industry she investigates the racing the breeding the responsible ownership and the political and industry forces that are working toward opening horse slaughterhouses again in the United States um, so welcome to the show Vickery it's a pleasure to have you on this is not usually my topic my beat is normally livestock um, you know the meat industry and food politics in general but I thought this was such an interesting story um, because horse slaughter was banned in the United States in 2007 the last of the plants was closed um, and there seemed to be like a big uh, sort of groundswell of consumer um, feeling about uh, not having horse slaughtering p- uh, plants in this country and yet lo and behold Roswell, New Mexico home to the UFOs for many generations is considering opening a new plant uh, they don't have their uh, FSIS that's Safety and Inspection Services Inspection Certificate yet but is that their last hurdle before they're able to open that plant? Uh,
3: Yes, they need to um, be approved to have inspectors, Mm -hmm. and there is a delay there, obviously. I'm not really sure what it's about. Um, There are a couple of obstacles to them, um, one of which includes um, notification from um, a horse rescue that they are going to be sued for violating the Clean Water Act, Oh, and so that's going
2: to stand in their way a bit incredible so now um, let's go back for a second um, I thought we were all supposed to think that a horse slaughter plant was a good idea and that horses had been suffering uh, with a lack of slaughtering facilities because they had to be transported great distances in tremendous discomfort and uh, and that it was really much better for them to have slaughterhouses in-house kind of the way we need more slaughterhouses in the in the livestock sector so that animals are not shipping uh, 1500 or 2,000 miles from one area to another in order to be slaughtered, and we need more facilities to make it more regional. How come that's not the case? Uh, Why do you feel that's not the case in horse slaughter? Well, it's not that I don't
3: feel it's the case. It's not the case that um, horse slaughter plants, or rather the closing of them, um, contributed to a decline in horse welfare. In fact, when these plants shut down in 2007 is when the whole economic meltdown occurred. And um, there actually isn't any tracking, any national tracking of horse abuse, abandonment or neglect, not on a national basis. And a 2011 Government Accountability Office report states that, but people um, who are in favor of having uh, horse slaughter plants used that report to suggest that there was an increase in horse abandonment. In fact, the GAO report never was able to prove that. And if you ask anybody, How many abandoned horses,
2: neglected horses, are there in the United States? No one can tell you. Amazing. No one has a number. Wow. So, um, what kinds of horses are going to end up in a slaughter plant? Will it be companion horses, show horses, uh, racing? Are they coming from farms? Broken down horses from farms? I don't. I mean, who who uses horses besides, you know, people who ride for pleasure?
3: Well, you know, one of the myths of um, the people who are um, supporting the uh, opening of horse slaughter plants is that something needs to, uh, there needs to be an outlet for old, sick horses. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, ask yourself as a consumer, do I eat old, sick cattle? No, you don't want that. Slaughter plants don't want old, sick animals. Old, sick animals should be euthanized. And, in fact, 99% of responsible owners, more than that, euthanize their horses. Uh So um, not that many horses actually go to slaughter. Uh, Less than 1% of the total horse population of the United States. The largest proportion of those are quarter horses. 70% of all slaughter horses are quarter horses. Um, The American Quarter Horse Association is the largest breed registry. They make money off of registering foals. And they registered, I think, 150,000 foals last year. And the total slaughter horse population was 170,000 horses so if the American Quarter Horse Association didn't breed at all you'd basically wipe out the population of U.S. slaughter horses so 70 percent are quarter horses and many of those are you know used up cutting horses rodeo horses um horses used on ranches but more of them are um overbreeding in other words there's a lot of um Breeders will sometimes breed 50 horses to get one that has good color. Mm -hmm. And so those other 49 horses, particularly in a recession, when horse ownership has become less affordable, can't sell them. And they want to be able to take them to auction and have a market. And um, at the very, very low end, horses are bought by kill buyers for little money. So 70% of... uh, Slaughter horses or quarter horses, about sixteen to nine percent are off the track thoroughbreds
2: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, the thoroughbred industry needs to be able to bring in new horses to race sure. and get rid of the old and the ones that they get rid of are not necessarily old and broken down they 're usually three or four years old, they might be a little slow, maybe they 've had a slight injury right so, and then the balance of that um, you have you know paint horses, you, you have a wide range draft horses. Kids ponies, but um, most slaughter horses come from industries that could breed less of
2: them. I see. So it's not people who are abandoning their companion animals. It's really uh, it's really about breeding associations and industry uh, insiders who are basically uh, overpopulating their their niche market. Um, so that they can get whatever qualities it is that they want. In the case of the racing industry, I can certainly understand why you know you can't keep a thoroughbred around, and they're not easy to ride. Isn't that true? Like after they come off the track, it's not easy to place a thoroughbred because they, I think they tend to be a little uh, more challenging for the average domestic you know rider.
3: Well, the thing about thoroughbreds is that years ago, when I was showing. Thoroughbreds were the desired breed. If Uh you didn't have a thoroughbred, you were not going to be showing at the A or the B level. Wow. And um, so everybody had thoroughbreds and they were trained like any other horse. Now, one of the great things about thoroughbreds is because of the conditions at the track, they're used to a lot of distractions, bells, you know, clanging gates, being bumped around by other horses. So in a lot of ways, they're ideal for training to ride. And of course, any horse that's never been trained as a riding horse needs to be trained. So if you just stick someone on any breed without training
2: it, it's not going to be a fun ride. Can you train a horse after a certain age? Sure. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So in other words, you could train a Mustang if you roped a Mustang out west, and we're going to talk about Mustangs in a few minutes, but um, if you roped a horse out west that was completely wild and had been, you know, is like 10 years old, you can still train it to ride?
3: Yes, but not that many people are knowledgeable about it, and there are certainly horse trainers that are not knowledgeable about it. Uh Um, But natural horsemanship trainers... um, there's actually something called the Mustang Makeover And I know somebody who in 90 days Turned a an adopted Mustang um, Into a riding horse That she could jump and basically do very basic dressage moves in a halter. Amazing. 90 days. So it could obviously can be done, but
2: you have to know what you're doing. Well, now let's go back to this idea of the slaughter horses. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, concerned people when uh, when when the media first started reporting about how uh, Sue Wallace from Wyoming was agitating to open a new slaughterhouse and that we should overturn the ban on slaughterhouses in the United States, Um A lot of the people who advocate that talk about how difficult it is to transport horses long distances. There aren't – even you wrote about this in one of your articles in Forbes – that they're transported in cattle trucks, and the trucks are not designed for horses, and the and the horse configuration, and it's very uncomfortable. What, isn't it better to have a slaughterhouse here in the United States than it is to have them trucked out to Canada or to Mexico? To um, even if it's a an European Union or Canadian buyer who's going to end up selling the meat. Well, I, I think there's a misconception that um, horse
3: slaughterhouses in the United States will be regulated. They weren't in the past. Mm -hmm. They had huge compliance issues. In fact, really the only historical documentation of violations, transport violations, were for horses transported within the United States to three plants, um, two in Texas and one in in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And um, you can see FOIA documents today that document terrible transport violations for, uh, you know, transport within the U.S. Uh So – A a, a plant in New Mexico is not necessarily going to be uh, closer than one in Canada or one in Mexico, depending upon where you are in the United States. Um, I actually did a map that showed where all the different plants are, and um, it's very easy to see when you are looking at a map that the distances to Canada and Mexico in many cases are shorter. That is not a reason to continue to truck horses over the border, Uh, no matter which direction they're going in or which border they're crossing, those um, trips are very brutal on the horses. Mm -hmm. And, um, in fact, the drivers who have been driving them to Mexico and Canada are the same drivers that were driving them to Texas and Illinois. So the transport violations were happening no matter where they went.
2: Well, I think it's interesting that there's no regulation really whatsoever about horse uh, transport or slaughter, just as there's very little regulation about um, poultry uh, slaughter as well in terms of you know animal welfare um one of the things that i wanted to ask you is is why who's going to make money from this like why why is this even an issue in this country why are horse plant horse slaughtering plants uh even being considered uh you know at this very moment what is what is the uh, the profit motive behind opening up new slaughter plants in the uh, u.s
3: well there isn't a lot of money to be made from slaughtering horses and um one of the things that people tend to not know is that the horses that are slaughtered there aren't raised for slaughter and that's because it's not economical to raise a, hoard, a horse as you might uh, you know a steer or a hog right so um people want a salvage market you know they want a salvage market for just about everything, old cars, mm-hmm. and so for the large breed registries, for the racetracks, this is a way for them to get rid of the, uh, you know, to be paid for what they no longer want to support.
2: What's the average price for a horse for that is sent to slaughter factory?
3: Um, well, in, uh, they tend to not pay above three hundred dollars a horse, and you know there are auctions where you can get horses f- for you know very very little money, yeah. fifty bucks a head, depending upon the uh, condition of the horse. It is important to know though that the horses that are going to slaughter are young and healthy, and I think ninety percent of them are between three and ten years old, and ninety-two percent of them, according to Temple Grandin. Um, have no behavioral issues, so they're they are sound, healthy horses. They're not old,
2: sick horses. Amazing. Well, right, because people wouldn't want to eat old, sick and, horses. Now, who's? Let's let's talk about who is eating horse. Who's, who wants these? I mean, why are we even talking about this? Like, who's eating it? It's not, it's not pot, certainly not in the United States. Never going to happen. Yeah. And then uh, even in France, where they used to have horse meat stalls, you know, horse meat markets just right next to a regular butcher's, those barely exist anymore. So I don't see a big population in Western Europe eating horse meat either. It's true. And um, horse meat
3: consumption, direct consumption, has been going down, um, steadily declining for a decade But uh, one of the interesting dichotomies is that over the past few years, the sales of horses going to slaughter has gone up, and that's attributable to um, the amount of horse meat being illegally mixed with beef, and nobody knew it. So you had more horse meat being eaten as beef and
2: less directly bought as horse meat. But we're going to safely assume that that wasn't happening in the United States. So even though we had um, lean, finely textured beef, (laughs) were we testing for horse meat at the same time? Well, no. um, The USDA,
3: or I guess FSIS, was not doing any DNA testing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't say with any certainty that there wasn't horse meat mixed in with the beef that we import from other countries.
2: Ah, there's always that. Listen, um, Vickery, we're going to take a short break uh, and do a little sponsor drop, and we'll be right back with Vickery Eckoff, uh, a reputable journalist who is investigating the horse slaughter industry. We'll be right back. Stay tuned.
1: This one's called Broke Down by the California Honey Drops, and you are listening to What Doesn't Kill You on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
2: Welcome back to What Doesn't Kill You: Food Industry Insight. With me, your host Katie Kiefer. In the studio with me today is Vickery Eckhoff, a longtime journalist who's been following the whole horse slaughter issue in the United States. As we are on the eve of uh, reopening at least one plant, and the ban which uh, was implemented in uh, 2007 against horse slaughter plants is uh, apparently have been overturned. So we were talking in the last segment about who is buying horse meat, who's eating eating it. Um, but what is the biggest, I mean, one of the things that you describe in your in your articles is that there's a lot of drug issues inherent in uh, domestic horse production. And how do those drugs affect meat quality? And how can people be sure that they're not getting them? Well, at the moment, you know,
3: presuming that
2: people in the United States are
3: not eating this, it's mostly foreign consumers. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's drug residue testing, but very, very little, you know, I think it's 0.2% um, percent. Uh, don't quote me on that. But in any event, so how can a consumer know? Well, you really can't because um, here's the thing about horses. They are the most medicated animals on the planet. Really? Absolutely. They're athletes. You know, think Lance Armstrong. Yeah. And particular. <laughs> Well, you know, particularly racehorses, you know, um, racehorses take a variety of drugs, some of which are commonly used in other horses. Mm -hmm. And the the drug that is of greatest concern right now um, in the United States, actually Canada, uh, and in the European Union is one called phenylbutazone. It's the most commonly used um, horse painkiller. It's an Mm anti-inflammatory. And... um, you know, 95 to 100 percent horse, of horses in the United States are buted, um, and regularly. Huh. And that's one of many, many drugs. I, I actually brought some packages. I know. You brought a scary, scary plastic
2: bag full of horse drugs. I yeah. mean, I was astonished at the, the panoply of op, of options that you could uh, employ to make your horse perform better, I suppose, is the object. I mean, I have to say my sister owns a horse. I've never seen her give her him a drug. And my aunt had many, many horses and never gave them drugs. Yeah. But, you know, I suppose it happens. Well, and,
3: and, you know, the the thing about these drugs is... They're harmful. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm going to read you just a, qu- a quick statement from the FSIS, um, which says, Phenylbutazone is considered to be one of the most toxic, non-steroidal, anti-inflammatory drugs. It is not approved for use in food animals. There are no regulatory limits, mm-hmm. no acceptable daily intake, no safe concentration for meat established by the FDA. Therefore, the presence of any amount of Phenylbutazone in animal food Food animal tissue is considered a violation and likely to be unsafe for human consumption it 's not likely to be unsafe there have been uh, there was a peer reviewed study done that showed that in minute amounts phenylbutazone can cause bone marrow depression it can cause um, fatal hypersensitivity disorders and uh, serum like sickness, sickness disorders and um, the effects are idiosyncratic, which means that nobody knows who's going to get them and there's uh-huh. no test there is no research on this because the drug is banned, so the FDA doesn't know how many people have been affected by it, and most people who are affected by it don't connect it to eating horse meat.
2: But what about in European countries where they do eat horse meat, and it is in their tissue? I mean, don't they have, like, for instance, the Russians, the Chinese, and many other countries have banned uh, imports of pork with ractopamine because they don 't use ractopamine in raising their own hogs they don 't want it in the res- they don 't want any residue in there in what they import so you 'd think that eu countries, for instance that are buying horse meat from you know our country where the horses have been treated with this, would be testing for that and would be rejecting those animals
3: well but remember it 's only been very recently that dangers of horse meat drugs have been discussed, so for years and years, people have not connected um, eating horse meat to, for example, there's a drug called Regimate that causes spontaneous abortions. Apparently in Japan, there are warnings um, on packages of horse meat saying, don't eat this if you're a pregnant woman. But nobody's been talking about it, so they're not connecting it to health issues. And, um, you know, many um, food agencies are denying the significance of the food hazards in minute doses. But it's been established that in minute doses, these drugs can be fatal.
2: Wow, that's a very scary uh, And there are dozens and dozens
3: of these banned drugs. I mean, uh-huh. they, you know, they're controlled substances. Um, they can cause, you know, to, you to be on dialysis for the rest of your life. Right. And, you know, the thing is nobody consults veterinarians about what to put on food labels. But I know many veterinarians who would say, like, Label all the drugs on the packages of horse meat and see if people want to buy them.
2: Yeah. Well I wish they would do that with um, <laughs> with all of the livestock that we slaughter and eat because sure. there's plenty of drugs in there that I suspect most people wouldn't want to uh, ingest themselves. But but the,
3: beaute is not allowed in cattle right. and pork.
2: Right, right, right. But rectopamine is, but they yeah. don't really know what that and, does. And
3: by the way, in uh, the European Union has banned imports of U.S. horse meat because the USDA never submitted a drug residue testing plan. So if this plant opens in uh, New Mexico, I don't know where they're going to sell this stuff.
2: Very interesting. Um, one thing you wrote about was um, the issue of public lands. We're going to talk about Mustangs for a second because we promised to do that. Um, but you talked about the issue of how public lands are used and abused uh, regarding wild horses and burros, and how ranchers end up. Uh, renting those lands for like a dollar and a quarter a head of cattle that grazes on it, and meanwhile uh, taxpayers are not really reaping any of the benefits of that. And plus, the herds of wild horses don't seem to be as anywhere near as great as the Department of Land Management would or Bureau of Land Management would have one suggest. So, can you address that for just a second for me? Yeah, sure. So,
3: along with part of the story that's been um, used by um, you know big ag companies to get rid of uh, you know horses through horse slaughter uh-huh. is this idea that there are thousands and thousands of wild horses damaging right. their mainland. Well in fact the BLM has only thirty-two thousand, um, estimates only thirty two thousand wild and horses. And they're on how
2: many acres of land?
3: Uh thirty-one million <laughs> <laughs> you know, and by the way, um, the cattle outnumber them, um, depending upon the area, by anywhere from
2: 50 to 1 to 200 to 1. So, right. you know. Um, and why aren't the cattle and the sheep that are being grazed on those federal lands equally responsible for any kind of land degradation?
3: Well, strangely, when the BLM did a study of damage to rain, range lands, they attributed all the damage to 31,000 Mustangs and none to the perhaps 12 to 18 million horses, uh, sorry, uh, cattle, cattle and, and sheep. sheep. And, and by the way, the USDA does not have an um, an estimate on the number of cattle. For example, I can tell you how many permits exist. Um, they have 18,000 permits and leases held by ranchers who graze livestock. Presumably, that's not going to be one cow. It's going to be
2: However many thousands
3: of head they have. Right, yeah. And that
2: they need additional rangeland for. Oh, yeah.
3: And they have um, these uh, animal unit measurements. Um, So there are 8.9 million of those, and they equate one cow and calf to one horse or five sheep to one horse. So (laughs) they have made the horse, you know, the the big bad guy out there, and they are so outnumbered, and their numbers are decreasing. Right. So – The suggestion that the horses are responsible for this is laughable. You know, the horses would have to eat 50 times their weight in order to be, you know, equal to how much the cattle are eating in some areas. Well, what
2: astonishes me about this is that, um, first of all, there is a a law on the books, the wild Mustang and and Borough... Management law. I think it was implemented in 1977. Wild free roaming horses. Re- wild free roaming horses. Yeah. So they are. They are. Uh, first of all, they're allowed to be there. I mean, that's part protected. of. They're protected. Um, but the thing that really struck me about that was the the amount the paw the paltry amount of rent money. That essentially uh, stocker feeder operations, I would imagine, are the cattle you know group that is getting away with this. Um, that they are allowed to, to graze their cattle for as long as they want, presumably, on public lands and pay a dollar thirty-two a head for that privilege. Right, is per, that per year? It's per
3: day. Per day. It's a one cow calf combination.
2: Uh huh and um you know
3: many people call this welfare ranching there has been an attempt to raise the amount that um that the ranchers pay uh-huh. but essentially what they're doing is they're pushing the wild horses off because they're using it for their cattle right and um you know, I, I think most Americans don't think of cow calf combinations when they think of the majesty of the West. <laughs> you know, cowboys. Yeah, they didn't, might think of a bison, but I don't did not think they ride thinking of that. cows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: I mean, I I'm sympathetic with ranchers because I know that feed prices have gone skyrocketing since uh, we implemented the ethanol program, and that you know it's very hard to. To make uh, the industry pay, and I'm I'm totally sympathetic with uh, certainly stalker feeder type operations, but um, at the same time, I think that there is there's definitely some abuse going on here. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up in just a couple of minutes, but I want to go on to one last thing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, for instance, at the opening of the program, you said that they were uh, that the Roswell, New Mexico plant was being. Um, uh, held up by the Clean Water Act, is bringing or you know proponents of the Clean Water Act are bringing a, a suit against them to mm-hmm. um, address the fact that they don't seem to have dealt with their environmental impact issues. Um, can you talk a little bit about the town in uh, in in Texas that you outlined uh, called Kaufman that had a horse slaughter plan and and clearly did not have their ducks in a row or their house in order when it came to uh, environmental management practices?
3: Yeah, um, Kaufman, Texas had terrible um, problems. Uh, the Plant there, Dallas Crown, was constantly out of compliance on wastewater issues. And um, the plant had initially thought that it would be able to sell the horse blood for um, fertilizer to fertilizer mm-hmm. companies, and they found out they weren't able to do it because of the drugs in it. Amazing. So they, they forced it into the sewers. At one point it burst the pipes and water came up into people's bathtubs and toilets. But further down the road, um, Kaufman had a, a new wastewater plant, and they kept being sued by the state of Texas because they were releasing untreated waste into a water system that fed Fort Worth's water supply. Wow. Um, the numbers the uh, uh, i can 't think of bio something or other b o d numbers uh-huh. um, were you know out of compliance, and the problem was that the plant was not able to handle the wastewater and they almost ruined kaufman 's wastewater treatment plant. they were out of compliance, I think it was four hundred and nineteen times. In 19 months, they wanted separate jury trials
2: for all of their different violations. I thought that was a really interesting point because then the town is obliged to bring suit each and every, for every. Uh, yeah. Violation, which nobody could afford, and it's bankrupting the town. It's kind of the tobacco industry has been very smart about exploiting that kind of thing, and so have other uh, livestock entities. Yeah, it's it's a powerful tool. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap it up. Um, if you want to learn more about this issue, and I, I really urge you to go to Forbes.com, uh, look for Vickery Eckhoff or look for her blog. It's E C K H O F F. First name Vickery. Um, she has all kinds of fascinating information, and this can be extrapolated to many aspects of the food industry. It's not just about horse slaughter. Next week, my friends, we have a really exciting show. Entrepreneur Eben Bayer of Ecovative. I don't know if you guys read the fantastic New Yorker story this week, Uh, but they are an organization that uses mushrooms and agricultural waste to generate packaging material and eventually it'll be in food packaging and building materials and so forth and so on. It's going to be a really exciting show. Don't miss it. This is the wave of the future. Thanks to my sponsor. Thanks to my engineer and thank you for listening listening. See you next week. Bye
1: bye. Everybody
0: gets broke down. Everybody gets low, but there ain't no reason to worry about what you don't know. Well, you go looking for the high.
1: Rise. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network.